Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us and for how you are faithfully working in our hearts and lives to accomplish what you desire uh, through us personally and collectively as a church. And now as we collectively uh, focus our attention on your word uh, and what you would like to teach us today, I pray for open hearts and minds for each one of us and that your spirit would be working uh, faithfully to accomplish what you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'd like us to get our bearings a little bit this morning as we uh, return to our uh, Micah 6, 8, uh, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly, and kind of see where we are. It's been quite a, quite a few uh, remarkable weeks over the last month or so, hasn't it? Uh, when you consider our missions conference and the power of that, uh, and what the Lord was doing through that, and then... Uh, over Holy Week, we've gone from mission to Mephibosheth and from uh, reflection to Christ's resurrection. Now, where does that put us? Um, I want you to know uh, one of my goals that I uh, have laid out uh, for the elders that has uh, been something that I'm trying to accomplish uh, through the ministry here and through my teaching more specifically um, I haven't told you this before, so you wouldn't have known, but one of my goals for us this year was to challenge us in what I call a first fruits lifestyle. And that's just a biblical term uh, that refers to our giving God our very best, because that's what he deserves in every area of our life. And in fact, you can look at uh, what we've done this year and, and see that um, in the fall uh, challenging us regarding what we have, a financial challenge. And you saw that with Harvest Home and with uh, the um, Living Water Project in which uh, you responded financially and, and God blessed and did some remarkable things. So challenging us regarding what we have. But then this winter, we walked through a challenge that was a personal challenge, what we are, as we asked you to to enter into this fast and be seeking the Lord about what He wanted you to understand about yourself. And then areas of repentance and reflection and renewal. And this has been a personal challenge and we followed Jesus' teaching in that in Matthew 5 through 7. Now, as we enter into the spring, I want to challenge us in what we do. So what we have, what we are, and what we do. An actual challenge. And we're going to look at Jesus' followers in this regard. Now what does that mean? Micah 6, 8, kind of this overarching theme for the year, has been helping us understand how he wants us to serve him. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now way back in September when I unwrapped that verse in a few weeks there, we talked about what it means to walk humbly. Don't expect you to remember all of that, but two things we pulled out of that walk humbly was that we should walk more. And I'm not talking about just getting exercise, though that's a good thing. And uh and I wasn't just saying frequency. I was talking and I believe this uh, the idea of this in Scripture is about tenacity. It's about staying at it. It's continuing to keep going. Maybe you remember my story. I told you I've walked the Appalachian Trail. To which someone said, the whole thing. 
No, I've done Anthony's Nose, which is right around uh, Bear Mountain up there, just a short little distance. And, but I can say I've walked Appalachian. That means nothing. I mean, somebody who walks the whole thing, that's the concept of walk more. Staying at it. Doing the whole thing. And then secondly, this walk humbly means balance better. And we actually saw Micah 6.8 show up in Jesus' own words in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. What would those be? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Act justly, love mercy, walk Humbly, keep going, faithfulness. Hmm. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, don't stop tithing. Just start doing what you're also supposed to be doing. Obey God and give to others. The sense here is faithfulness. The point is the right way. Do both well. And that's what I would like us to consider this spring as we fast forward. That was uh, Dave Bratton's idea. Isn't that a neat idea? Isn't that great? Because here we are, uh, as as we were even a a staff, we hadn't thought about this one until just this last week. But we'd been explaining to you that we we were challenging ourselves first financially and then then personally, and then we kept saying, as as it regarded the, the fast, don't forget to get to the dream. What does God have for you next? And that's the dream wall and the opportunity to say, Lord, you taught me this. I want to follow through on that. And... And what is it? What do we call that? Dave goes fast forward. Great idea. Take this beyond now into what's next. And Alex is just one example of that. Again, not Bethlehem's next pet project. An example of somebody in whom the Lord has been working for quite some time to help him find something that he believes God wants him to focus on in, in who he is and what he does and what he has. What about you? You see, that's what we want to explore here and find out. Discovering what the Lord wants you to do in service. Not just Bethlehem helping you find a place of service, but you finding what God wants you to do in service. It may have to do with Bethlehem Church, and it may not. in or outside of this place. So let me suggest, as I have before, some principles, and we'll continue to unwrap this. If you're sitting there going, I don't, still don't know what God wants me to do. It's all right. Remember, he had to get flicked in the air and say, wait, 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 wait. But I want you to keep looking. And so let's look at what this looks like for someone to continue to walk humbly, to, to follow through, to continue till you get to the end of the trail. Four principles of walking humbly that we see in Jesus' followers. Communal, their service was communal, it was uncomfortable, it was measurable, and it was perpetual. So, going to take a couple of weeks on each one of these. Communal number one, we're going to look at the first church. And uh, so, um, let's turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And while you're churning there, I imagine you're churning with the word communal. It's a scary word for us independent, individualistic Americans. Communal, not communist. 
That's a euphemism. No, it's not. Voluntary, but part of a larger obligation. To have a communal mindset is to be voluntary. That is, this is what God wants me to do. I can't tell you. But it is attached to a larger obligation. I lived in the most communist society outside of the Eastern Bloc. Did you know that? Did you know that Italy was more communist, stronger communist party and presence, influence, than anywhere else in the world outside of the Eastern Bloc? Um, Kind of an ironic mix with uh, capitalism. Uh, They used to say in our region, which was extremely red, and they knew that and they said it, this is the definition of communism. What's yours? No. Let's see. How's this go? What's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine. That's, that's the way they defined it. And in fact, that's the way they practiced it too, because it was all great as long as you were given to me, but I didn't have to give to you. You see, this is where we find the difference in the church of Jesus Christ. People's lives that are changed that will say, what's mine is actually not mine. It's God's. And I would be willing to give that to you if you really need it. That's the sense of being communal, not communist. Now, how does that work? (laughs) Well, to look at the first church here, we get a picture of what that means. For this to work, there has to be balance, there has to be honesty, and there has to be priority. Let me uh, try and work through this with you. Acts chapter 2, and here we have, I imagine a passage that is familiar to most most of you. This is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. This is Pentecost where he comes, tells them to wait. Again, flicking in the air, don't, don't go anywhere yet. Stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes. He fills them. He uses them. He births, he births this church, the church of Jesus Christ, right there in, in this chapter. I don't have time to read it all, but I want to move to verse 42 where it begins to describe after they, these few thousand people have come to know him and, and are now saying, what do we do? It describes what they did. Beginning in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves. Notice the personal initiative. Nobody was telling them what they had to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, here we have uh, four characteristics that many times we use to describe the nature of a local church. There's a little more than that, but these are four things that are basic and true. What, what makes the church the church? What's different than, a, than a, an on-campus uh, uh, Christian group as opposed to a local church? What happens, uh, what's the difference between what happens over at community college over there, which is a good thing that InterVarsity is doing, uh, and, and what happens here on Sunday mornings? Well... Some of this is here, this balance of the teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, that is not only hospitality, but the the practicing and the the observation of the Lord's table on a regular basis and praying together. And we're going to see how uh, they cared communally. But first, they were in communion with God and with each other. There was spiritual balance in their understanding, their definition of what they did and what they practiced. Prayer, uh, observing the Lord's ordinances, uh, fellowship with each other, and the teaching of the Word and the learning of it. And we're going to get to the care in a minute, but I want you to see that those things were there. 
I'd like to speak for a moment about what we've been doing this year and spiritual balance. Again, the flags that are hanging on the wall here represent 30 different missionaries in 16 countries of the world. We just had our missions conference and you were challenged deeply about that. I'm excited to see that our faith promise uh, is is strong in its response to the conference this year. We invest uh, in excess of $170,000 a year in reaching people beyond where we can reach personally ourselves because we believe we have an obligation to that. That's an investment. That's a significant investment. We also challenged you a little earlier this year with a few low-hanging fruit things, digging some wells to help out, uh, buying some coffee to change the life of a farmer. I'd just like to put that in balance and perspective because... Some have been concerned about that. What, what are we doing? I, I thought we, we, we invested in people to, to reach people for Christ. We're, we're buying coffee and, 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 and trying to change the life of a farmer. What, what? Low-hanging fruit. I'm talking about pocket change. I'm talking about $12 a month. We're just offering you another opportunity to deepen your service. This is in no way undermining our missionary investment, endeavor, and approach to reach this world for Christ. It's just as we entered into this year of service, one more little way that you can take a little bit of pocket change and start to make a difference. Like taking a little more pocket change and digging a well and and making a difference. Like maybe if you feel like investing in in what uh, God has laid on the heart of of Alex in, in getting water to these people, and it is a ministry that they work together with local pastors just like uh, Land of a Thousand Hills does with mission organizations. Uh, they are a Christian organization. Are they planting churches? No. They are working together with those who are. And this is just the beginning. We just started to do this to give you another way that you could serve, and there's some creative ways to do that through Christian organizations that didn't even exist 40 years ago. Uh, and we are going to take this concept, this aspect of serving, to a whole other level. A couple of weeks, uh, you guys are going to be praying. We're going to be, I, I say you guys because I'm, not, I'm going to be on vacation that week. Uh, but we're, sorry about that. Didn't mean to distance myself. Just, on the Sunday that I happen to not be here, um, uh, you're going to be praying for uh, some individuals that are going out from this church on a short-term missions trip. Uh, uh, Chris and Yana Sedlicek, along with Helen uh, Feltz and Scott Millard, are going with Team Healthcare to Kenya uh, to, uh, to minister to them. And uh, uh, Chris, as a physician, is going to be uh, doing uh, her work, and then Helen and Scott are going to be ministering spiritually to these people and, and sharing the gospel. Well, when the cooks were here, let me jump, when the cooks were here at the missions conference who work with us, uh, for us in Rwanda with Rafiki, when they heard that Scott was going to end up being in, uh, in, in Kenya... Actually, they had thought about this long before. They were saying, wow, you guys are doing that stuff with Land of a Thousand Hills. You know, Land of a Thousand Hills started in Rwanda. In fact, Rwanda is called the Land of a Thousand Hills. That whole thing is here. And we like what they're doing. As a matter of fact, they are making a difference in, in, uh, in, in, in uh, Rwandan uh, farmers' lives. And, and we'd love to see you guys do something like that together with us with Rafiki. And then when they heard the Scott was going to Kenya, they said, just a couple more bucks and you could get over here and scout out a trip of how Bethlehem Church could take their service to Rwanda just one more step and make a greater difference in that place. So Scott's actually going to be going to Rwanda. The Lord's provided all that he needs. 
financially to do that. And, and he's going to be scoping out for us. What else could we do in that place to make m- that much more of an impact in that place? And maybe we'll be sending a team to Rafiki and I'm the first one on the list because I want to go back to Africa like I always wanted to do. So, you see what I'm saying? In spiritual balance, we need to make sure we've got these things right, but we also can take any number of things that we're invested in to a whole nother level. God's not done yet. What's next? So there is a context of spiritual balance. Uh, I want us to also notice that there were extraordinary times that these people were involved in. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, many wonders, miraculous signs done by the apostles. Uh, This was unique for their time. Scripture was not complete. God was confirming his work through unique men called to an office that does not exist anymore. So how does this apply to us? I mean, in in these stories, it just seemed like the shadow of Peter would pass over somebody who was ill and they would be healed. How come I can't do that? Well, these were special times. These were extraordinary experiences where God was confirming his work at that time in that place. Well, does that relate to us? Yeah, it kind of does this way. Are all the months that we're going to have going to be like this last one? Where we have George Murray just really working on our hearts and challenging us? Or, 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 or the depth of what we experienced through Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday last week? No, not always. Could get a little boring like this week. <sighs> there are a few less people here today than last week too. Notice how that works, right? Um, Bill Mino isn't even here. I can pick on him. Um, he, was, uh, he was out visiting his son last week, and he went to Alistair Begg's church, and I bet Alistair Begg had a great thing. Already lots of people go to that church, but there were even more that week. And so he got up and said, Oh, so nice to see so many of you visitors. I hope to see you again next Easter. Yeah. That's a pretty good response, you know. Hey, are all weeks going to be like that? Uh, no, but... Those kinds of extraordinary experiences can show the depth of what God is doing even below the surface. And so we must continue. And as a matter of fact, that's what the, these next verses show. There was follow-through. Um, they believed in gathering, serving, and learning. They're written right in verses 44, 45, and 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They gathered. Then they served, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Verse 45. And then learning. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord continued to bless and work in their hearts. Overtly apparent in this service to each other was that it was occasion-driven. Um, in chapter 4, we're going to go in just a second. It even adds, from time to time when there was a need, someone would sell a piece of property and bring it for that need. It was occasion-driven. We're not talking about communism here. It was voluntary. And there was a sense of caring obligation. We must see this in balance. There was, at once, in the same time, much personal initiative and responsibility and care for others and sacrifice in meeting those needs. In our need to be communally conscious, caring for the needs of others, we must do this in the context of spiritual balance, the work of God in individual hearts, and then responding voluntarily to the needs of others around them.
And I say that because the next chapters show how bad it is when you don't do that. So quickly, let's go to Acts chapter 4 and 5. There has to be balance that I've talked about, but there also has to be honesty. Allow me to read chapter 4, verses 32 until... uh, I'm going to go into chapter 5. All of the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord uh, Jesus, and much grace was upon them. Uh, Notice we've got serve and gather and learn here together still. I mean, actually serve first, and then there was learn, and then we come together. There was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land... Uh, and, and houses sold them, brought the money for sale, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Of course, he shows up later very significantly in this book. Sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Well, that's great. That was done well. Now we get to the next story. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so much that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who, had, who heard what happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up the body, and carried it out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked, tell me, is this price you and Ananias um, got? F- um, is this the price that you got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, that was edifying, wasn't it? I read something this week that said in the 60 volumes that Spurgeon, that that fill the volume, 60 volumes of Spurgeon's sermons, he never preached on Acts chapter 5. This passage has bothered a lot of people. I mean, after all, Judas betrayed Christ. He didn't drop dead. How do you resolve this? What is happening here? Barnabas did it right. It was personal, it was voluntary, and it was caring for others. Ananias and Sapphira did it wrong. It was partial, it was deceptive, and it was caring for themselves. Let me show you something that is very, very interesting about this passage. The author, Luke, uses a verb that is lost on us, was not lost on them. Chapter 5, verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money. You noticed it when I read it both different times. Now, you remember when Dr. Murray was here and he talked about the Septuagint? Remember the, the, uh, the, the 70 men that took the Old Testament from Hebrew and translated it into Greek? 
He did that because many of the Hebrews at the time of the New Testament didn't read Hebrew. And so, listen to this. The Septuagint was also a source of the Old Testament for early Christians during the first centuries A.D. Many early Christians spoke and read Greek. Thus, they relied on the Septuagint translation for most of their understanding of the Old Testament. And that's where we find Luke. The word Luke uses is the very same word the Septuagint uses for Achan in Joshua chapter 7 when he kept back what he wasn't supposed to have. And in fact, that passage speaks of those things as devoted things. Uh, The meaning there is that these were to be given over completely. In some situations of the Old Testament, totally destroyed so that they are not yours. God says, this doesn't belong to you. Don't touch it. Of course, Achan touched it. Sin entered the camp. They'd gone from the great victory of Jericho to the loss at Ai. Do you know how to spell Ai? Okay, just seeing if you're with me. And if you take that and put it on the New Testament, you have a very similar thing happening. The people of Israel have moved into a whole new land that God has promised them. He's given it to them. He said, I don't want you doing what you did in Egypt. I want you to leave that behind. I want you to take this land, be my consecrated people. Right? Well, we just want a little bit of what they've got. Wrong! It's devoted. It's to be destroyed. It is not yours. We are going from the birth of the church of Jesus Christ out of their pagan and lost lifestyles into a whole new existence of being God's people, there are some things God doesn't want you bringing into that life. As a matter of fact, our Christian walks are kind of a process of that, aren't they? In application to us right now, is it possible that some of the things that you have been searching the Lord for and praying and and repenting of and He's been working in your heart and mind through this time of, of, of fast and dedication, that he's put a few things in your heart and mind to which you've said, I don't need that. I don't want that. Lord, cleanse me of that. I, I, you're right. That's a devoted thing. That's something that's to be destroyed. That's something I'm not supposed to have anymore. Don't take it back. God was saying to this church, some amazing things have happened. The apostle just walks by somebody and his shadow seems to heal him. This is great. This is wonderful. Great. This is my work, not yours. He means for us to obey his instructions completely, honestly. It's said that Donald Gray Barnhouse, the... uh, pastor of 10th Presbyterian of Philadelphia, never let his congregation sing the third stanza of At Calvary. It reads, Now I have given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. He wouldn't let them sing it. He said, If God acted the same way today that he did in the fifth chapter of Acts, you'd have to have a morgue in the basement in every church a mortician on the pastoral staff. Ken Hughes says, This was not a mere miscalculation of their checkbook, but a premeditated deception. This was pious pretense, religious sham, simulated holiness, Christian fraud. 
We share in Ananias' sin, not when we think we are more spiritual than we are, but when we try to make others think that we are more spiritual than we are. And can you now see why we embedded in this year of emphasis on service a call to a personal consecration, seeking God above all things so that we might find what He wants us to do. The last thing I want to do is set you up to be some kind of a Christian sham artist. I want you to honestly, truthfully, sincerely Avoid the danger of pretense or sham or simulated holiness. Yet, giving over some things that He may not mean for us to keep, you can give yourself that much more to what He wants you to give. Our service as we walk humbly is to be communal, balanced and honest. why we can't tell you that your thing is the bucket. You need to find what the Lord wants you to do. And do it with great reverence. Now there's one more thing that I have to share. Can you handle one more passage? I know you can. There's one more. And I promise I won't preach the whole thing. I just want to make a couple of observations out of Galatians chapter 6. Because not only is this communal aspect to our care supposed to, and our service supposed to be in balance and to be honest, but if you'd go with me to Galatians chapter 6, I want to read about priority. Beginning in verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch out. Watch yourself. Or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load, personal responsibility. Anyone who receives instruction in this word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. There's the Appalachian Trail. Keep going. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Chapter 6 of Galatians gives us a sense of our broader obligation, what I call messy involvement done carefully. You see, watch out for yourself and each other. See somebody that's going somewhere, touching some devoted thing they said they wouldn't, and they're back in it. You go after them, but be careful. Don't, Don't you fall as well, but it's okay. Get involved. Bear each other's burdens. Be humble, but be responsible. Share so appropriately. Don't give up. Do good and prioritize, especially the family of believers, but also to all people. Bethlehem Church is, in part, a big, beautiful building that we walk into. We look good every Sunday morning, and we enjoy spiritual services. That's a play on words. 
spiritual services. We offer them to you every Sunday. You get the service here, but you get to have your children taken care of and your youth taken care of. And in part, that's who we are. However, the deepest, truest, lasting ministry of Bethlehem Church is when we are committed to its participants. And we enter into this kind of care and love and behavior and commitment to each other and those this church touches. And there are some people in this church, many people in this church, who are deeply committed and involved. They are involved in messy involvement, trying to do it very, very carefully. Are you in that group? Can you say you're one of those? Or do you just come and enjoy the spiritual services? And I asked that question this week, not last week. Because that would be really, that would be just so easy to pay. Yeah, all those. CEOs, you know what CEOs are? Christian Easter onlys. Okay. I didn't ask that question last week. I'm asking it this week. There is nothing individualistic about Galatians chapter 6. There are no Lone Ranger servers. Lots of personal responsibility with collective obligation to the family and to others. These are Jesus' followers, the first church. Can we say we are? Are you connected enough with others in this church that Galatians 6 would describe your relationship with them? You know, no, no, no pastoral staff, I don't care how big it is, can do all this. Care is meant to be done at the small gather level. And when the professionals need to help, they'll help. But every one of us ought to be able to read Galatians chapter 6 and say, what in this am I doing and what in this do I need to be doing more? As we fast forward, as we carry what we've learned from the fast into our practices of life from now on, we need to walk humbly like Jesus' followers in the first church. And their service was communal. For this to be true, there was biblical balance. Let's learn here. There was complete honesty. Let's gather in this way, lest we have to open a mortuary downstairs. Let's carefully prioritize and serve in this way. And we are committed to meeting the needs of our family first and then the community. But it isn't an either or. It's a both and. As we seek to walk humbly, may God give us collectively the grace to do it right and individually the courage, the courage to do what we ought to. Let's pray. I thank you, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that collectively you felt a broader obligation to those created in your image for whom you would do anything to reach, to save, to restore. And I thank you 
Heavenly Father. For your willingness to send your Son and for you, Jesus Christ, personally taking that responsibility, completing that work. And I thank, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your indwelling presence. And how you demonstrate for us what a humble walk is that you will carry to completion everything that you have begun. And you love us that much, together and personally. We long to be like you. We know we can't in and of ourselves. But by your grace, help us to reflect you more and more in our humble walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.